Hello everyone and welcome back to Synergy Cast. I am your host, Sonia Joffer, and on today's episode, I invited Christy Vargas, LSW, who is a licensed social worker and therapist, to join me for a conversation on how social work involves social justice work. We talk about some of Christy's favorite things about being a social worker. We also talk about some of the challenges that come with the profession. We also discuss what it's like to be first-generation women of color, both working in the mental health field and also as clients trying to seek services. I want to put a content warning out there that we do discuss depression as well as other mental health conditions and racial microaggressions in the workplace in today's episode, so please utilize that self-care while listening if needed. If you want to check out Christy on social media, you can do so on Instagram at M-I-S-S-X-S-T-Y underscore LSW, and that's in the episode notes as well, so please look her up and show her some love. I also have some lovely resources in the notes for you all, some articles on how therapy can benefit first generations, and also some Instagram posts that are about decolonizing wellness, about racial disparities in the mental health field, and also the impact of racism on mental health. Additionally, in the episode notes, you will find some BIPOC mental health professionals that I personally love to follow on Instagram, and I suggest that you should also follow on Instagram if you are interested, so feel free to check those out as well. All right, everyone, that's it for the intro. Thank you for tuning in, and I really, really hope that you all enjoy listening to today's episode. to the show, Christy. I'm so excited to have you on, and I know that we're going to talk about your experience in social work, um, but also I know that we know each other because we went to Loyola together in undergraduate school, and we also, briefly, I was in a sorority for like <laughs> a hot <laughs> time, so that's how we also know each other, and we took some psychology classes together too, so that's how we kind of know each other, and I know since then you've been doing social work. So um, is there anything else you want to share about yourself to the listeners before we get started? Yeah. So before I kind of share a little bit about myself, I just wanted to say, um, like, thank you for reaching out to me. Um, you know, I think mental health advocacy and social work is something that does mean a lot to me. And so I'm really grateful that you invited me, Sonia, to be on the podcast and really uh, I was listening to actually your Healthy Relationships podcast with your partner. I really enjoying like all the mental health aspects of your podcast as well. So I appreciate that. And guess what I want to share a little bit, I guess, about to your listeners is kind of what you said, right? I'm kind of, so right now I am a licensed social worker and therapist. I, um, so shout out to my Michigan cohort back at um, University of Michigan, for my social work. <laughs> After I came back to Chicago and I've been working in a therapy and a therapist role in some way or another. Know, starting out with community mental health that I'm really passionate about because I get to work with people from different backgrounds and cultures and different socioeconomic statuses, especially people who you know otherwise wouldn't be able to afford therapy as well. Uh, what else would I like to share? I like to share that I am a first generation um, Asian American in my family, right? So I am Thai, Chinese, and Filipino, uh, born and raised here in Chicago. 
And yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. Of course, yeah. And that means a lot to me when you mentioned that listening to some episodes have really like touched you in some way. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing more about yourself so the listeners can get to know you a little bit. I feel you on the first generation aspect because I'm also first generation. Um, and I know we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the conversation as well. But also, yeah. I'm really interested to hear before we uh, go further. I'm really interested to hear what brought you to the field of social work and mental health in general. Yeah, so I think social work specifically, I didn't, if I'm being honest, I didn't know much about what the field of social work entailed until around, let's say, my junior year at Loyola um, undergrad, right? So I went in college knowing I wanted to major in psychology, right, with mental health and being a therapist in some way or learning about therapy in some way. So I went in majoring with psychology and then later on double majored in Spanish as well. Um, so, you know, I think why I went in knowing freshman year that I wanted to study psychology more, honestly, was due to like kind of a personal experience I had with mental health, right? So mental health does, or mental illness, I should say, runs in my family on my dad's side. So my aunt um, is living very well and successfully with bipolar one disorder, right? taking her proper treatments, therapy, medication as well. And my grandma, who had passed when I was a lot younger, had schizophrenia, right? So it was really, you know, hard at the time for her since the amount of healthcare was so different than it is now, right? So when I was 15, I think kind of when I, shortly after I realized when I was 15, I was diagnosed um, with depression and anxiety. Uh, so that kind of opened me up to kind of my experience with mental health, learning more about it, but also getting treatment as a, like a teen of color, right? A person of color um, in this field. So I think that kind of opened my eyes up to like how, how hard it is living with mental illness, right? And how hard it is trying to find treatment, getting proper care, right? So I think that, you know, look shortly after I think I was like a sophomore in high school and that happened, junior year kind of found purpose in it where I kind of believe that this experience and this diagnosis or the onset of it when I was 15 was ex kind of a blessing, kind of led me to my passion, right? And finding my calling to work with others, especially youth and this mental health role in therapy. So I think that's how I kind of first got introduced to psychology going into undergrad and then learning more about the different, you know, educational backgrounds and different fields that therapists have come from. I really enjoyed social work because of the social justice lens and like emphasis on that as well. So that's something I'm really passionate about is kind of giving back to communities who need support and maybe in other ways won't necessarily be able to get them due to whether it's socioeconomic status, right? Or um, other things as well. So that's something I think that really drew me into social work. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing to hear. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. I acknowledge that it can be tough to talk about, um, especially when it's very personal. I myself have gone through depression and anxiety, but I think it's, for me, I am comfortable talking about it openly because I feel like it's not talked about all the time. Right. And I know listeners probably can relate to feeling similarly yeah. or also can relate to that experience. Also, I totally acknowledge too that the social justice aspect of mental health is so crucial and it's so important mm. 
And not all grad school programs or mental health school programs address the social justice model, which I think is very problematic. Because like you can't see them both as separate. Social justice and mental health go very hand in hand. They're definitely connected. Mm-hmm. So I really like how you also come from that background because I myself am currently studying in a school that also Great. teaches from a social justice paradigm. So yeah, right. I think that's extremely important. Yeah, I agree with that, Tanya, right? And especially with what you said about mental health and social justice definitely does go hand to hand in hand, right? I think that's something you know, where we can't really work on one without working on the other, right? Kind of society as does have an impact on people and their mental health, right? So I think, you know, I'm glad too that, you know, that we are grateful, you know, I'm grateful that our programs that, you know, program that I did in Michigan, the one you're doing now, Tanya, do have those focuses, right? Because I know you said, but you said other ones don't, right? I think that's really important to understand kind of the holistic experience and the holistic sense of being a therapist, right? But also, the whole structure behind it, right? The societal aspect, not just kind of what's in the therapy room once, you know, an hour a week, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I I know, especially um, the very crucial point of also being a person of color, both working in the field and also trying to seek mental health resources as a person of color. I myself have experienced both. And it's, there's so many barriers just being by POC in navigating the mental health field, uh, let alone the world in general. But I know we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the episode. But I also want to hear what are just your overall favorite things about being a social worker? And what are your thoughts so far? Because I know you've been working for a few years now. Yeah, so I think the overall, my favorite things about being a social worker, definitely one of the things I really enjoy is the professional values and the values that are in the field or or in the social work field, whether it's like a social work code of ethics, right? I think those professional values align very much, very closely with my own personal values, whether it's like kind of, you know, like social justice, right? Bringing light to that. One of the values in the NASW code of ethics talks about like dignity and worth of a person, the importance of human relationships. And I think those are something that even before I knew what social work is, I think even before I went to college, just have always been is um, very valuing human relationships and seeing the whole person, who they are, whether it's in my, more especially in my personal relationships growing up, right? I've always kind of been a people person, very much so, I think, partly because I'm very much an extrovert, um, but also I think that I also find really strong value in having that a social support system right i think personally having a really strong solid support system has gotten me through different really hard obstacles in my life and that's something that i think the field of social work emphasizes too right the social aspect of it right mental health and so i think that's like kind of one of the one of my favorite things about the field another thing that I like is more of it lets me kind of live out my passion and that like I have you know ever since I was diagnosed when I was 15 like a little you know maybe a year later I started realizing that people like everyone has their potential a potential to change their life for the better or kind of especially for youth pop youth populations change the future so I think that view has really shaped my interest in the field of social work and kind of aligns with that that as well, seeing the whole person and the worth of a person as well. So I think um, what I like about that aspect is I like to 
the holistic approach that's found within some of the various social work is they always tell people that sometimes I tell my clients this when it comes up and it's relevant in sessions is that there is always a reason behind why someone acts a certain way, right? So either when someone says certain things or acts a certain way, even if others do not and cannot justify it, there's always like a reason behind it, why they're acting like this, whether it's something happened in their childhood or, you know, something else. I think there's always, there's always a reason, even if that person doesn't know what that reason is yet. And so I think the last thing I do want to talk about what just came to mind in terms of favorite things about social work, kind of um, what we touched on a little earlier, Sonia, about the social justice lens, right? I think especially my program um, in Michigan focus a lot on power oppression, diversity, and social justice, right? And I think that's important to me, not only as a woman of color, but also at in working with my ideal population as a social worker, right? So the ideal population I want to work with are, you know, minorities, people of different backgrounds and different cultures as well, people who have been oppressed by the system. And I think that's definitely been very helpful to have that emphasis. And that's one of the things I think I really enjoy about social work that we're continuously learning and challenging ourselves how to like make the society better and oppress, you know, that fix like, kind of the, the dynamic between the systemic racism or like oppression as well. So that's something I really enjoy as well. Yeah, I love the points that you brought up. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. I especially really love the point about seeing the whole person. And I think that's something that I learned in my program um, graduating soon. So that's exciting. But hey. I'm, I'm very much seeing how everything that I learned these past two years so far have like literally applied to everything in life, whether right. you're working in the field of mental health or not. Everybody has mental health. So everyone right. around you is affected by it. Yeah. I myself am affected by it. So it really shifts your perspective on how you view other people. Especially I really liked the point that you made when it forces you to constantly question why people are behaving the way they do. And I feel like a lot of people normally don't question that because they're not trained to question that. And right. the reason why we are, I mean, I wasn't thinking like this before my program. Definitely. Like the program kind of conditions you to always question beyond just the behavior why this is the behavior that's important to look at but why is this behavior happening and look let's look at the whole context of the situation which I think is super important to not only if you're a therapist or a social worker just any human being just to view others around you and the entire context that they exist in I think that's something super important yeah I'm glad that you brought that up Sonia especially you know I want to speak a little about what you just said there about how everyone has mental health, right? I'll be honest, growing up, I'm sure for you too, you have similar things going up, growing up and honestly, even kids now is that we don't learn about mental health growing up in health class, right? As much as you learn about maintaining your physical health, you learn about, oh, mental health is just mental illness, right? And you may have to fix the illness when you have, right? When you are have an onset of depression, whatever it is. But like you said, Sonia, everyone has mental health, just like we all have physical health, right? And we all have to work towards maintaining both, right? I think that's the hard part too, is that we don't learn growing up. And I think kids now aren't learning either how to maintain that, right? Her mental health and what goes into it. And, you know, whether it's emotion regulation or being, you know, having that space, I think that's kind of part of what I do as a, you know, a therapist, especially with children and teens, right? It's kind of 
giving them that safe space and having them learn what it is to maintain mental health, right? Normalizing that everyone has mental health, just like physical health as well. So I think I'm really glad you brought that point up. I think that's very, very true, but not something that a lot of people know, right, as well in our society about mental health being something that we all have, just like physical health. Exactly. I love that point. And I always tell people in my life that if you had a physical illness and like if you broke your foot, you wouldn't like not go see a doctor. Like you would go see the doctor, you would get your foot fixed, you know, like you would deal with that in that way. You would prioritize your physical health in that way because you can see that right? With physical health, you can see certain things like a broken foot, you can see that. But with mental health, it's kind of invisible, quote unquote, in the sense where you can't really see it as a tangible thing. You can feel it though. And that's the thing is that I feel like a lot of people, like you mentioned, a very good point you mentioned is that we're not taught this in grade school, always taught like in health class or in PE, like take care of your physical health, blah, blah, blah. But very, very little, if anything, on how to take care of yourself mentally, too. And mental and physical health are so interconnected because the mind controls the entire physical body. Yeah. You can't really, like you mentioned, you can't separate the two at all. So I really like that you brought that up. Thank you. I'm glad, too. And I think definitely, you know, in bringing that up, it also, you know, another thing that goes, like you said, Tanya, just now, that you can't see, right? You can feel it, the person going through mental illness and having, you know, trouble with their mental health, but other people can't see it. And I think part of that is having, it's like an invisible illness sometimes, right? And it's like the person struggling with depression or whatever they're struggling with question, oh, is it just me, right? Other people can't see it, right? And it's kind of, in a way, it's harder, I think, to get help and to even confide in a friend or a loved one. But also I think they're very much so is, a stigma in our society surrounding mental health and mental illness. And I will say not as much as there was before. I think now I'm seeing more, especially with the youth population I'm working with, that their stigma is not as great, but it's still there, right? It's overall in society that stigma with mental health and all oh, what that means, right? And how mental illness is depicted in movies, shows um, as well that could inhibit someone from wanting to get help, right? And kind of feeling worse about themselves, what's wrong with them, et cetera. So I'm glad you brought that up too, because that, you know, helps me think more about kind of connecting the stigma with that as well, which I think definitely does play a role in society and how people are able to find support. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like that you point out that there are so many barriers for people who experience mental health issues or mental health conditions. There's so many, it's already so difficult to to live with that experience, but then also when you try and go out and try to seek resources or try to figure out more and inform yourself, there's so many barriers that are set up by society to prevent you or make that even harder for you to get access to those. Um, So speaking of that, I know we talked about some things that you really like about social work. I also want to hear some challenges that you've experienced with being a social worker as well. Yeah, so yeah, I think that's definitely important, kind of goes with the holistic view, right, of a person but also with the field and what you're doing. So yes, there are some, there's many great things about what they do in the field of social work, but there are some challenges, like you mentioned, and they come with it. I'm glad you asked about that. It's important to talk about both, right? So I think for me, what I've noticed in the field, being a social worker and therapist is kind of that work-life balance and maintaining self-care as a therapist and social worker, right? It's something that we intentionally have to make time for and remind ourselves, but sometimes it's harder, hard to do. 
I think especially now a lot of therapists are struggling with it because of the pandemic, right? Because of, you know, especially at the beginning in March when the pandemic was coming and was everything was happening so fast, right? I think we kind of didn't, as therapists, didn't have a chance to feel how we felt. We had to help other people, you know, go through it. Like we're helping them and going through the same thing, right? So I think that definitely, you know, has an effect on being able to have self-care. I think self-care is important you know, not only in maintaining the therapist's own happiness and health, but also, you know, in taking care of ourselves, we give, we're able to give the best care, right, to our clients, right, as well. So I think that's one thing I know that challenges, that's a challenge in this field for me, or has been. I've been a little better at it now, um, now that, you know, a little, in the field a little longer in terms of time management, really learning how to compartmentalize, right, and I think I have that, I mean, I could owe that to my supervisors and other trainings as well. And having friends who are in the field who we could talk about these things, right? Another thing I know that is a major, I think, challenge for me though, Sonia, is more of my questioning in the field, having to advocate for minority populations as a woman of color myself in this field. And the, the reason why that is a challenge is because, like you mentioned a little earlier, you know, the therapy field or mental health professional field is very predominantly white, right? There's a lot of white professionals in this field. And I have come across white colleagues that I do not seem to value or understand actually cultural humility. And I think that's very hard for me when I am very much an advocate, right? For social justice and cultural humility, right? And knowing everyone and understanding, but when, you know, colleagues will make microaggressions or you know, speaking from ignorance or, you know, definitely speaking from their position of privilege, right? Me stepping into a field where many professionals are privileged by the color of their skin because they're white and I'm not, you know, I'll be honest. Though I am privileged because of other things, right? All the hard work and sacrifice that parents made for me, right? To give me a better life than them. I'm not gonna, you know, sugarcoat it and say that I'm not privileged, but however, I do not have that privilege, right? Of being white and kind of, not being discriminated for stuff based on my race and my skin, right? Because honestly, I have growing up. And I think going into an environment, especially in a professional environment, as a woman of color wanting to address all these, what are the systemic racism, right? Things that could benefit those who have been oppressed and minority populations, while colleagues may not understand or want to understand, it's been very difficult for me in this field, right? When I come across colleagues like that. And I think, yeah, that's definitely something that, you know, is challenging, but I think it has its pros and cons. And what I mean by that is definitely a con is like my experience, I guess, as a woman of color may be invalidated, right, by these white colleagues and white therapists. But I think the pro is like taking, you know, that that's like seeing that as an example of why I'm fighting for it, right? Social justice and learning about these things is kind of a reminder of why we're doing it. And sometimes, honestly, I'll say sometimes it just comes from a place of just ignorance and honestly not knowing from some white colleagues. And sometimes if, depending on my relationship with that specific colleague or coworker, it could turn, it has turned into a very, you know, kind of a great conversation, a learning moment for them, right? I've had um, that come up with someone I trust and someone I'm pretty, you know, pretty well where I'm working. And I think you're able to have that conversation and they were able to be receptive to it and thank me, you know, about it. So I think that um, it is rewarding in that sense as well when we have those conversations, also see that reminder of why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing and what I'm fighting for as well in this field. 
Yeah, that's, those are all such, such important points. I'm so happy that you hit on those. And I think I especially love talking about self-care. Listeners know how much I love talking about self-care. I will never stop talking about it because I just love the subject so much. I think it's super important for everybody, um, especially when you are working in a field such as mental health really, really utilize that self-care. I think something that I've had to learn the hard way is that I need to practice what I preach. If I'm preaching, yeah, if I'm, if I'm preaching to the people I work with, you know, self-care, take care of yourself, give yourself compassion. Mm -hmm. I need to be also doing that too, because I can't be a hypocrite. And not only that, but like you mentioned, I really like that point. And it's so true that if you don't take care of yourself as a mental health professional, how are you going to be expected to go out and help others take care right. of themselves or learn better about how to take care of themselves? So I think that's such an important point that you hit on. Also, the piece about being a, a woman of color in the field of mental health, which is a very predominantly white field. There's a lot of challenges in that you experience with that alone, like you mentioned, advocating for other people of color that you work with, but also advocating for yourself too. And it's yeah. just so worrisome to me that the field is predominantly white. Um, mm -hmm. And not only that, that also majority of people, like we said, aren't taught from the social justice model and to you know, learn how to be more culturally, you know, knowledgeable right. and be able to like meet people where they're at, despite what culture they come from. I think that's so problematic that mental health professionals aren't, you know, trained in that more. Yeah. You know what, Sonia, I agree, right? I think that it is problematic that, you know, some mental health professionals and there's some programs like mental health programs out there that don't focus on that because I think that is, like you said, they go hand in hand, right? Mental health and social justice. And honestly, I think some some therapists are trained to kind of, you know, I, I think with the social justice lens, you probably know this too, since you're studying it in your program, right, Sonia? But we kind of work, we work with the client in session as a therapist. We also work towards targeting what's wrong in the system that's causing them to feel that way, right? And advocating for those changes as well. Right. If you do not have that social justice lens, and some therapists do not because of their programs, they're just meeting the clients, meeting them where they're at, which is great, but that's all they're doing is being letting them able to vent about, you know, how the system has like, you know, like not changing, right? Kind of being supporting them in that way. And I think, you know, it's great that they have that safe space, but also to have the changes as well. It's not just kind of like, oh, we'll help you with how you're feeling now, but we won't fix the system for you, right? right. I think, you know, I know obviously we can't fix the system and whether systemic racism, right? Or other things as well, or sexism, that can't be fixed overnight. We, what we obviously know of that, but I think it is important to continually work towards it or even educate ourselves as mental health professionals, right? And what that looks like, what we can do, little steps we can take to get there, right? Because I think it is, it, like you said, it is definitely problematic that some people do not learn that, right? Especially with the emphasis you said, Sonia, with cultural humility. I think that's very important in this work, right? And I think, um, you know, we'll probably, I want to talk more about this later is that I think having the mental health professional field be predominantly white definitely can inhibit people of color from getting help. Right, not you know having someone that understands their culture because they've lived through it, but also 
being a white person, not understanding, right? It, I know it could be traumatizing for some people as well, right? To work with a white therapist. So I think that's also a problem in the field, right? And not, you know, in terms of having the resources for people of color as well. Yeah, definitely. I really like that point. And I can relate to that too. When I was first seeking my therapy, uh, my personal therapy, I was looking for a therapist two years ago. And I purposefully looked for anyone that wasn't white. And right. I wanted it to be a female and I wanted it to be a person of color. That was super right. important for me. And I think that's it's super important for more by POC to be therapists and social workers because mm. there needs to be more people that look like us in this field for people that look like us to want to get services or feel comfortable yeah. to get services too. And that's totally fine. Like if you like me don't feel comfortable speaking to a white therapist, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like the right. The, the the therapy space is for you and for your growing and for your yeah. So whatever will make you feel most comfortable in that space, that's what you should focus on. So I, I really like those points that you brought up too. I also wanted to dive, uh, I know we've been talking about experiences of being a woman of color in the white dominated field of therapy. I wanted to dive into that a little bit further if you have any personal okay. experiences that you did want to share as well. Yeah, I think kind of more specific, kind of piggybacking off what we talked about earlier, hearing some colleagues, they're speaking whether it's a case consultation, staff meeting, and clearly not understanding, right? Not speaking from a culturally competent lens. You know, they don't understand things like inter intergenerational trauma, especially, you know, with families and people of color, right? Or, you know, understand sometimes, you know, when someone would talk about for case consultation, a client who is a person of color, right? And talking about collectivist values, right? Which a lot of people of color and their families have, right? The really strong emphasis on family and community, minority cultures, I know, especially in mine as well. But when we're talking about a case consultation, it's kind of being like, oh, for example, like a colleague would be like, oh, why does that matter? Why don't they just do what they want? What does it matter what their family wants and thinks, right? And I think that's problematic in that like they don't, I think it's important to understand, even if you don't, you're, yourself or as a white, if a white person doesn't practice collectivist ideals, right? But we're all, or even, you know, we we're definitely here in America and Western culture is very much into individualist society. But at the same time, not everyone is like that, right? America's a melting pot. People come from everywhere, right? We're all immigrants. But to have that emphasis on family and community definitely is important for some people. And I think for colleagues not understanding that could potentially invalidate their clients' experiences as well, kind of not understanding and definitely affect that helping process, right? That therapy process as well. So that's something... I personally have um, kind of experience in the field as well, kind of how that's like and, you know, how that may affect clients, especially clients of color as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think you made some really important points. So thank you for sharing all that about your personal experience in the field. I come from a South Asian background, so I also come from a culture that values community over autonomy. And I've spoken oh, yes. about this on the podcast a lot about growing up first generation in Western culture, but also raised by parents who were immigrants coming from South Asian culture. I was right. kind of forced to balance the two. Um, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could, yeah, you could exactly. It's really hard. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Kind of having that value for, you know, my parents, right? For Southeast Asian culture is kind of 
like you said, community over autonomy. And I think, you know, there's, there's very, there's beauty, honestly, in having in parts of that collectivist culture, having that, how caring people are right with families. And, but I think that's something that could definitely be challenging when it's putting over autonomy, right? It's like, it's like it's saying one or the other. I think that we could definitely have both. Like you said, Tanya, I grew up kind of trying to balance that too, right? Growing up here, you know, wanting to value my culture and my parents and where I come from, where they came from, but also having that autonomy as well. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to share more about that, I'd love to hear it. Um, I love speaking about balancing. I think everything in life should be balanced because like you said, it's really great to have both sides of that culture. Um, sometimes they can be problematic. Like for example, in my South Asian cultural community, because we value community so much, sometimes it's like, it's toxic in a way where like you care too much about what others think and then you forget right. about honoring yourself and what you actually feel too. So I'd love to hear um, if you're comfortable sharing more about your personal experience navigating balancing yeah. the two um, cultures that are within you and then also what has helped you balance the two. Yeah, I think, you know, definitely I want to share a little bit more about my cultures, right? And kind of that dive into how you know, my journey into learning how to balance the two. I think now that I'm older, I definitely am better <laughs> at balancing it. That said, I wasn't always good at balancing it, right? So I think, so I grew up very, very much so tied to my culture and my heritage. I think specifically my Thai heritage, more so than anything else, since Thai was my first language. Um, so I would speak that with my mom, the house, but also my dad, he's Filipino. So um, me and him would just only speak English, right? So I think I learned both, but Thai was first, right? So I have traveled to Thailand, I think about four times so far in my life to visit my family there. And I think, you know, I'm very close to my family there as well. And so, like you said, we have a strong emphasis in my culture and my family's culture, and especially my Thai side and put in putting our family first and making decisions that would positively impact the entire family, right? So that kind of what you, like you said, Sonia, becomes challenging and sometimes toxic, right? When I wanted to make my own decisions, right? I think even when these decisions were healthy and encouraged here in America and objectively healthy decisions, but with the culture and sometimes traditional Asian cultures, right? Things like that are frowned upon. So I think what helps me balance the two, if I'm being honest, is like definitely doing my own work in therapy. Um, a lot of like self-reflection about my culture in therapy, but also on my own about what my culture means to me, right? So what that looks like or has looked like throughout the years is me kind of sitting down or pondering if I love my culture and heritage, am I still able to be independent and autonomous? Or like, are these two things mutually exclusive? And so it took me, a, a, like I said, a long time, it took me a while, but I realized that they are not mutually exclusive, right? Understanding and realization that I'm my own person has really helped me balance, right? I'm my own person. Yes, I'm my own person, but I can love and value my Asian culture, right? While also wanting my own independence and make, to make my own decisions and being autonomous without feeling guilty. I think that's something I do want to talk about more, that kind of sense of where we don't know much as well, feeling guilty about doing something for ourselves, right? Feeling guilty is something that might go against what um, traditional Asian culture says we should do, right? As adults or as young adults. So I think that definitely has something, uh, has impacted me. And I think, to be honest, personally, I'll share a little bit that kind of having those two cultures 
you know, American culture, but also, you know, Asian culture for me, they have clashed sometimes, right? So between me and my mom having those boundaries, you know, for me not knowing how to set them, right? Because we're being so family oriented, so collectivist. Growing up and me growing up as a young adult, wanting to set them for the first time has been very hard. And um, for me to do and put in place, but also for my mom to understand, right? A little bit. So I think that kind of like what you said, something could be toxic in that someone feels internally, right? Someone feels guilty about doing something that um, maybe the family will not agree on, or maybe doesn't, you know, understand, but also having that boundaries, there's a fine line, I think, between family, you know, fam strong family values and be very close with your family, but also there's a fine line with how it could be toxic as well. So I think that's something that I continue to practice with my family and it's took a lot of work, but with communication and understanding, I think we're getting really better about, you know, talking about feelings. That's something that, you know, I don't know about you, but especially my Asian, <laughs> Asian family, like they aren't open at all with talking about feelings, right? And so that has been a work in progress and it's, you know, I think it's getting better for us to have that open, honest communication with each other in terms of these are the boundaries I'm setting. This is how I feel when, you know, A, B or C and, you know, talking about our feelings and normalizing that. That's definitely something that, you know, my mom and her generation, you know, doesn't understand as much. Those are some beautiful points. I love the points that you shared. I especially love the point that you shared about how going to your own therapy has kind of helped you a little bit navigate that. I definitely agree with that too, because when you're in therapy, that's like one of the only spaces in life that's all about you. Like, right. <laughs> you're in control for that entire hour, whatever you want to talk about, however you want to approach that you are in the driver's seat. And it's very yeah. rare that we have those moments in life, especially with everything going on that can feel so out of our control in the world, like yeah. the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, all this stuff is going on around us. So to have a space where you can sit down for an hour and be in control, I think is super important. And also the guilt piece that you brought up. That's something mm -hmm. that I have been trying to work on so much <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of guilt that comes up when right. you try to make decisions for yourself that clash with your, you know, collectivist or community values that come from your Asian cultural values as well. And right. that's something that I've had to learn through therapy is shifting from feeling guilt to gratitude. Definitely. Because I, I noticed that feeling guilty, although I, it was valid that I felt that way, yeah. it was holding me back from being right. the best version of myself and also being the best therapist that I can be for others. Yeah. So shifting from guilt to gratitude has been such a key thing for me in my life and just being grateful for the privileges and the opportunities that I have been given, that has been key for me. Um, so I, re I really agree with that. Thank you for bringing all that up. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, I think it's very important for me and to, I think, therapy for me has, you know, I've been seeing my therapist having, you know, been involved in my own personal therapy for roughly four years now. And I think that really much has opened my eyes to my true self. Like you said, I'm being the best version of myself. What I want, like you said, therapy, it's all about that client, right? When I'm there, it's all about me. You know, I guide the session, like you said, you know, we're in the driver's seat as clients when we go. And I think that really has made has done wonders for my mental health, right? Because like you said, we don't learn about these things growing up, like about these feelings and talking through when I have been feeling guilty, right? And, you know, like similar to what you said, Tanya, kind of switching it to a you know, lens of gratitude, right, as well, so that we're not holding ourselves back 
right as well. And I think that's very important. I think my, if I'm being completely honest, my therapy, you know, my personal therapy and getting therapy for myself has really made me, you know, happier being who I am, right? Being happier and more comfortable with my skin, with my self-esteem and confidence level, but also honestly it's benefited my trust in their people, my relationships. And, you know, I think the bonus is that it's made me a better therapist, right? So I understand what it's like to be in the client's chair, right? To be that side of therapy, right? And how hard it is sometimes for clients to come and talk about certain things, right? I think that really helps with me validating my own clients, right? As a therapist, right? Understanding that this is not easy, you know, you know, letting them know that they guide their own therapy, right? Like they're in the driver's seat as well. It definitely, definitely helped me a lot, in, you know, more ways than one in my life. Exactly. That is so true. I love that point that you made about how going, being in therapy yourself as a therapist, everyone should be in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you are a therapist, it's really, really important to know what it's like to be on the opposite side of that. Like you mentioned, I think that's super key, a super important point, because then it allows you to empathize with your client when you're on the opposite side of the role as a therapist, you can empathize with your client and know exactly what it feels like to be on the other side. And so you can kind of, it helps you meet your client where they're at a little bit more right. and kind of just like empathize with how comfortable it can be right. to be in that space. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, I like that how you brought that up too, that everyone should be in therapy because honestly, I agree with that. I don't think, you know, sometimes some people believe that therapy is a last resort thing right when like their their mental health is getting really really bad but honestly I think a lot of what therapy is is talking about the human experience and the obstacles we all have in life right we're all life is hard for everyone right there's always going to be nothing's perfect right there's always going to be some hardships whether it's grief you know relationship issues or anything I think that's definitely beneficial for anyone right to get therapy and talk about and have that space you know sometimes it's really nice to be able just to talk to someone even, you know, for the therapist to listen and to talk and have someone outside of your social circle and outside of, you know, your support system, listen to you and validate you, right? As well. So I think, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up too, that yeah, it's definitely beneficial for mental health professionals themselves to get therapy, but also for anyone. And I think that's something that I very much believe in and advocate for as well is kind of normalizing therapy, right? Like kind of normalizing that process as well for people. Definitely. I love talking about therapy. I love talking about mental health. I do it to literally everybody around me, (laughs) every case I'm in. I think it's super important to, like what you said, to normalize it. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more we can make it seem normal because it is normal. It is normal to have mental health. Everybody has that. It's a universal thing. No matter where you come from, you have mental health. So I think it's super, super important to highlight that. I know that you have been working in the field for a few years. Um, Also working as a social worker during a global pandemic and a revolution, (laughs) you probably picked up on a lot of things that you've learned. Uh, I myself am just entering the field and for people like me who are also women of color that are new to the field or entering the field, what would you advise for someone like me who's, you know, just, just getting out there? 
Yeah, I think definitely, you know, for people of color, right, whether it's women of color, just people of color in general entering our field, definitely, you know, you are needed, right, in this field. I think not only are more therapists of color needed because there are not many, right, in the field of mental health, but also because I think it's, I want everyone to know, right, whether where they come from, regardless of what their race or ethnicity is or the background, that they are worth it and deserve to be in this field, they, that's what they truly want, right? I think it, honestly, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, is kind of discouraging, right? Seeing, you know, in programs, like therapy programs, looking around you and seeing that the field is predominantly white, I think that could be hard, right? We question our worth in the field, like, who are we? Like, we're outnumbered, right? But I think many of us have experiences, have our own personal life experiences that definitely could benefit all our work as therapists, right? Some of us have experienced family conflict, right? Coming from that collectivist, you know, family, very family-oriented community value, right? Or kind of inter intergenerational trauma, right? Conflicting or even like conflicting expectations between, you know, what our parents want or people who are in traditional cultures, right? Traditional heritage and cultures with how they want us to live our lives, with how we want to live our lives. I think these are very much real life experiences that many people of color experience growing up that could definitely benefit you know our, their work as therapists and especially if they work with clients right who are also people of color I think it's definitely you know we're needed in the field for those clients who aren't comfortable going to a white therapist right I think you know like I said a little before I just want to say it again it may feel a little bit intimidating walking in to a profession where the majority of people are white but it's also very rewarding right to walk into a field that I think we are really truly passionate about and to be, I think it's important, you know, to learn how to be authentic, authentically ourselves, right? As people of color, because that definitely go, shows in our clinical work, in our advocacy work and in our field, in the mental health and social justice field. I think that's definitely very important, right? So I think to like people of color who are entering the field, you know, maybe people who are finishing soon, like you, Tanya, <laughs> coming up, I definitely like, I think first of all, I would say like, thank you for coming to the field for especially you know, it's not an easy field, right? I think it's also um, very important. And so I'm grateful for that as well. And also I think definitely, definitely we're needed. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really, really, really liked all the points you mentioned, especially like what really touched me is when you said that we are all needed and also how important is it is to authentically show up as yourself because there's so many barriers that are stacked against by POC who are in the field to not authentically show up because a lot of times it's easier to just whitewash yourself or to just blend into your surroundings, what, what your surroundings look like. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's not being authentic to ourselves and that's kind of putting ourselves at a disservice and also the people that we work for too. So I'm really happy that you mentioned that something that's been really helpful for me in showing up authentically in these spaces is finding a circle of people that are also people of color that also understand me and I can go to to talk about these things that I probably can't go to with my white coworkers. Definitely. Um, so I think I think it's, it's special to find a circle of people that really understand you that you can be authentic around and then that helps me show up authentically in the in the workspace as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm glad that you brought that up, Sonia, with having, you know, a support system that also understand where I'm coming from, right? From 
you know, people of color as well, friends being, you know, from backgrounds, minority backgrounds as well, has definitely, you know, been a been very beneficial for me and validating my experiences um, with my family, my experiences as a person of color, because they understand, they truly understand that they know, or right? they're going through it too, or they've been through it too, right? It's different. Um, like you said, like I'm explaining to our white friends sometimes because they don't, they, they kind of try to understand, but they don't fully know because they don't live through it, which is okay. I, you know, I understand. Um, but it's something about, you know, venting with someone who has been there is, I think that's a very powerful, which, you know, kind of connects us back to why people of color are so needed in this field, right? Having that sense of understanding as well with clients of color. Exactly. Yeah. This was, this is such a beautiful conversation we're having. I really appreciate everything that you shared. Um, I feel like we could talk about this for like multiple episodes <laughs> yeah. um, and you're more than welcome to come back on in the future as well. Uh, if you ever want to dive more deeper into certain things we talked about today or anything else that comes up too, because um, mental health is always relevant and it'll, it'll keep being relevant. So um, I also want to hear any last thoughts or concluding thoughts okay. you want to share with the listeners and leave with them. Yeah, so definitely. So first, I want to thank you again, Sonia. Like, thank you so much. I'm honestly very grateful and honored that you reached out to me to talk about these topics. Um, I think they're very important to me in my work, but also in my day-to-day life, like personally as well. I also want to thank your listeners, right, for listening as well, for kind of dedicating their time and energy in learning more about social issues and social justice, especially with everything going on in our country right now. I know um, firsthand, I think it's that this is not an easy task, learning all about all these things uh, happening right now, especially with it happening right now. We're learning about it as it's happening. It's not easy, but it definitely is worth it. Um, I guess I'll like leave with, I guess, concluding advice or kind of some last advice to that kind of what you mentioned earlier, Sonia, is for everyone to kind of be kind to yourselves, right? And once you by what inspires you, I think it's very worth it to keep working towards it because, you know, I very much truly believe, I think this is one of the, why I'm so passionate about my field or about this field, about my role as a therapist. I truly much believe that everyone, each and every one of you is worth it, right? Every person out there has worth and is worth, you know, chasing what they want to do in their lives. That's a beautiful message. So thank you so much for those concluding thoughts. Um, lastly, I want to ask you if people want to look you up on social media, how can they do that best? Oh yeah, great. So, so I, you know, I actually love engaging with the community, um, kind of like a mental health community on Instagram, right? So I, I have an Instagram called Miss Christy underscore LSW that you could go in and follow if you like to engage with other mental health professionals or even um, as I call it, the mental health advocate family, right? Because anyone could be an advocate and talk about mental health because everyone has mental health. So I think that's something that, you know, I would love to engage with everyone there. I try to make it an uh, interactive space where we could talk more and kind of collaborative as well. So that's M-I-S-S-X-S-T-Y underscore L-S-W. Um, but yeah, so that's, you could go check me out there if you want to learn more and kind of engage in the mental health community as well. Yes, thank you for sharing that. And I will also put your social media that you mentioned in the episode notes. 
So for listeners that didn't catch that, feel free to check the notes and you can see Christy's social media there as well. But thank you so much, Christy, for being on the show and for coming here and spending time to talk about something that's super important and super necessary to to talk about. So I really appreciate your energy, your time, your effort in this whole process. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Sonia. I appreciate you for having this podcast, right? Keeping up with it and definitely focusing on very important things in the mental health field and also for communities of color. So thank you again for having me. Yes, of course. (laughs) As always, I thank you for listening and staying tuned. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with the people in your life. I would also really appreciate if you would subscribe to Synergy Cast on whatever podcast platform you prefer, give it a five-star rating, and leave a good review mentioning what you like about the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram for updates, at Synergy Cast, and I have also included that in the episode notes. I have now a new feature, which is a voice memo feature, which I am very excited about. So if you would like to send in your thoughts and your feelings or your personal experiences, feel free to record a voice memo and send it my way. I would love to include your voice in the next podcast episodes. Lastly, if you are willing and able, there is another new feature where you can donate however much money you want to help support Synergy Cast financially. If you do choose to donate, the money would help me pay for several things. It would help me pay for myself, my own energies, my own efforts, and also the money would help pay my future guests, especially people of color, for their time, since I believe it is very important to compensate people of color, especially for their time and energy, since many BIPOC which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, have a history of being taken advantage of and underpaid or not paid at all for their efforts. So any and all ways you choose to support would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way soon. Stay safe, everyone, and take care.